Welcome to Vox Day, unfolding scripture, a journey into the depths of the Bible, explored through the lens of Catholic teaching. In every episode, we unravel the timeless wisdom embedded in the Word of God, connecting the dots between scripture, tradition, and our daily lives. Our guide on this journey is Dr. Augustine Newman, a distinguished Catholic theologian with over two decades of experience in biblical studies and Catholic doctrine. With a doctorate from the Pontifical Gregorian University in Rome and author of numerous scholarly articles on biblical exegesis, Dr. Newman brings a rich and profound understanding of faith and scripture. Together, we'll traverse the landscapes of the Old and New Testaments, delving deep into each book, each story, each verse, seeking to understand the heart of God's revelation to mankind. So grab your Bible, a cup of coffee, and let's unfold the scripture with Dr. Augustine Newman. Welcome back, dear listeners, to Vox Day, Unfolding Scripture. And welcome back to our ongoing journey into the depths of Genesis. As we turn our attention to the third and fourth chapters, we delve into profound stories that narrate the fall of humanity and the tragic tale of Cain and Abel. As we explore these chapters, let's draw on our Catholic lens to delve into these ancient narratives, each of which casts significant light on our human condition. In Genesis 3, we encounter a story of cosmic importance, the fall. Pictured as allegorical narrative, a serpent, often linked with Satan, tempts Eve to partake of the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Eve, in turn, shares this fruit with Adam. Now, this isn't just a light snack. It's a seismic shift in the state of existence, marking a rupture in their bond with God, a fracture in their relations with each other, and a profound disconnection from the world around them. A point of importance to remember here is the Church's teachings on the ripple effects of Adam and Eve's disobedience, a ripple we call original sin. It's not an inherited guilt from our first parents, rather it's an inherited state of sin, a spiritual malady afflicting humanity, from which, thanks to the grace of baptism, we can be freed. Turning the page to Genesis 4, we meet Cain and Abel, the first siblings to appear in the biblical narrative, and sadly, the players in the first recorded act of murder. Cain, the farmer, consumed by jealousy, kills his brother Abel, the shepherd. Here, we see how disobedience to God can escalate to horrific violence against our fellow humans. This tragic story is not just about violence. It also underscores the sanctity of human life, and Abel's life cut short by violence makes him a figure of the righteous sufferer a motif we'll see culminate in the person of Christ. These narratives, when viewed in their cultural and historical context, offer a window into the ancient Near Eastern understanding of life, suffering, and humanity's place in the world. They're etiological tales explaining why we experience hardships, why we labor for our sustenance, why childbirth is painful, and why we encounter strife amongst ourselves. We're guided through these stories by key characters like Adam, Eve, the serpent, God, Cain, and Abel. We journey from the idyllic Garden of Eden, symbolizing the original harmony of creation, to the land of Nod, a place of exile and wandering for Cain post-fratricide. These chapters, although exploring the fall of humanity and the inception of murder, are not devoid of hope. In Genesis 3.15, often referred to as the Protovangelium or First Gospel, we read, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will strike at your head, while you strike at his heel. Here, we see a glimmer of redemption, an echo of hope. 
This verse foretells the eventual triumph of the Messiah, our Lord Jesus Christ, over the sin and death ushered in by the fall. Amidst the grim reality of sin's entry into the world, there is a note of hope, a promise of redemption and victory. Let's now uncover some profound and often overlooked theological treasures. Our first stop is the concept of free will. Often, we see Adam and Eve's act simply as disobedience, but let's delve deeper. Their action also spotlights the precious gift of free will. God grants us the power to choose, but like any great power, it comes with great responsibility. The fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil was not inherently evil. Instead, it became problematic due to the act of defiance against God's directive. This reminds us that our freedom, while an amazing gift, needs to harmonize with God's laws. Now, let's pivot to the theme of God's mercy in judgment. When Adam and Eve commit their grave sin, God doesn't respond with sheer punishment. There's mercy interwoven into his judgment. He seeks them out when they attempt to hide, Genesis 3-9. And he offers them clothing to cover their shame, Genesis 3-21. In God's actions, we catch a glimmer of the divine mercy, which will later burst forth in its full glory in Jesus Christ. Continuing with Genesis 4, we encounter the mark of Cain. Following Cain's murderous act against Abel, God places a mark on Cain as a shield against his own murder, Genesis 4.15. Despite the evil Cain committed, God extends his protection. This serves as a powerful testament to the enduring worth of every human life, even those who have gravely erred. Now let's turn our attention to a verse you may have passed over, Genesis 3.15, the so-called Protovangelium or First Gospel. This passage is the initial whisper of a Redeemer, God's promise that the offspring of the woman would one day crush the serpent's head, a promise the church sees as pivotal. Lastly, let's touch on the pervasive effects of sin. These narratives graphically depict how sin doesn't only disrupt our bond with God, but also our relationships with each other, as we see with Cain and Abel, and our relationship with the natural world, as evidenced by Adam and Eve's expulsion from the garden. Sin's repercussions are far-reaching, underscoring the deep need for reconciliation and redemption. So, dear listeners, when we approach these chapters through these lenses, we can unveil new profound insights and deepen our understanding of the nuanced theology within these early biblical narratives. Next, it's common to find ourselves grappling with questions and potential confusions when reading these passages. So, let's take a moment to address some of these from a Catholic perspective. Firstly, many wonder, is the story of Adam and Eve literal? Well, in Catholic teaching, while we affirm the existence of a historical Adam and Eve, we're not obliged to take every detail of the story as scientific or historical fact. Instead, the Church encourages us to understand the narrative within the context of the literary forms and symbolism prevalent in the ancient Near East. The focus is on the conveyed theological truths. Next up, why does God plant a tempting tree in the garden? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil isn't a cruel test. It's a symbol, a representation of the limits set by God and a reminder of His sovereignty. It serves to delineate moral boundaries that humans are not meant to cross. It's not a dare, but rather an invitation to trust in God's wisdom and submit to His divine will. Now let's talk about original sin. Contrary to some misunderstandings, original sin doesn't mean that we're born guilty because of Adam and Eve's sin. 
Rather, the Catholic Church teaches that we're born into a state of sin, that is, a lack of sanctifying grace, because of their disobedience. And it's through the waters of baptism that we see this grace beautifully restored. And what about Cain? Why does God punish Cain if he knew what he was going to do? Yes, God's omniscience means he knows all things, but he also endowed us with free will. Cain made a choice, a dreadful one, to kill his brother, and his punishment was a consequence of that choice. However, even in this judgment, we see God's mercy as he protects Cain from vengeance. Another frequent question revolves around Cain and Abel's offerings. Why is Abel's accepted and not Cain's? The text doesn't give us a clear-cut reason. Yet, it's often interpreted that Abel's offering was presented with a sincere heart and right attitude, whereas Cain's was not. It seems that the focus is not so much on the offering itself, but on the disposition of the offerer. Lastly, is the serpent in the story actually Satan? The Genesis text doesn't directly label the serpent as Satan, but later biblical texts like Revelation 12, 9, and Catholic tradition identify the serpent with Satan, seeing it as either an instrument used by Satan or a symbolic representation of him. I hope these responses shed some light on the rich theological depth nestled within these Genesis narratives and provide clarity on their significance within our Catholic understanding. Moving on, I think you'll be amazed at the significant foreshadowing tucked within these ancient texts, hinting at the grand messianic story to be unfolded in the rest of the Bible. Let's start with Genesis 3:15, what we often call the Protovangelium or the first gospel. After humanity's great stumble, known as the fall, God throws down a prophecy to the crafty serpent. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will strike at your head, while you strike at his heel. Now, the church sees this verse as a major spotlight, illuminating the upcoming arrival of Jesus, born of Mary, the woman in this prophecy. He's the one who will ultimately trounce Satan, the serpent. When we look at Jesus' victory over sin and death through his crucifixion and resurrection, we see the fulfillment of this ancient prophecy. It's like finding the first breadcrumb in a trail that leads us to the heart of the gospel message. Now let's turn the pages to Genesis 4, 4, where Abel makes an offering of the best parts of the firstlings of his flock. We see this as a striking precursor to Christ's sacrifice. Just like Jesus, Abel was an innocent victim, and his acceptable offering prefigures the perfect sacrifice that Christ would make on the cross. The image of Abel's blood crying out from the ground is later juxtaposed in the New Testament with the blood of Jesus, which speaks a better word than the blood of Abel, as we read in Hebrews 12.24. Finally, let's discuss the banishment of Cain after his heinous act of fratricide. Even though Cain is marked by his sin, he's also marked by God's mercy, as God prevents others from killing him in vengeance. This serves as an early hint of a recurring biblical theme, God's mercy towards sinners. This theme reaches its pinnacle in the message of Jesus, who explicitly states that he came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance, as we see in Luke 5.32. All these elements interwoven into the narratives of Genesis lay an intricate foundation, setting the stage for the grand story of redemption through Jesus Christ. It's a testament to the richness of these early biblical texts and how they resonate throughout the larger biblical narrative. 
Now, as we've been journeying through the book of Genesis, particularly chapters 3 and 4, it's vital to recognize that there's a significant consensus between Catholic and most mainstream Protestant interpretations of these passages. After all, both traditions cherish these books as part of the sacred scripture and recognize their conveyance of crucial theological truths. But there are also some subtle differences, some nuances that are well worth our time and attention. So let's dive into those a bit. Firstly, let's consider the concept of original sin and how it's transmitted. The Catholic Church holds that we all, as descendants of Adam and Eve, inherit original sin, which is then wiped clean through the sacrament of baptism. Now, many Protestant traditions, particularly those in the Reformed theology, also acknowledge original sin, but their understanding and its implications can differ. Some, for example, subscribe to the idea of total depravity, that every aspect of human nature is stained by sin. In contrast, the Catholic Church insists that though human nature is indeed wounded by original sin, it's not completely corrupted. We as humans still possess the capacity to do good, albeit we need God's grace to overcome sin and attain salvation. The Church finds its support for this view in the Bible itself, like in Romans 2, 14-15, and in the consistent witness of tradition. Now let's talk about the role of Mary in these narratives. In Genesis 3, 15, there's a woman described as being in opposition to the serpent. The Catholic Church sees this woman as none other than Mary, the mother of Jesus, who remained sinless and whose son, Jesus, tramples the serpent's head. This understanding forms the basis of Catholic doctrines like the Immaculate Conception and Mary's critical role in salvation history. However, many Protestants interpret the woman a bit differently. They may see her as a collective representation of humanity or interpret the offspring as a broader reference to the people of God, not specifically Mary and Jesus. Catholics, on the other hand, argue that the interpretation involving Mary aligns with the fullness of biblical revelation and the early church's understanding. Finally, there's the sacrament of baptism. Stemming from how we understand original sin, the Catholic Church practices infant baptism as we believe it removes the taint of original sin and brings the individual into God's family. Some Protestant denominations, however, lean towards believer's baptism, meaning they don't baptize infants. They feel that baptism should take place when an individual can personally express their faith in Christ. The Catholic perspective finds its roots in the continuity of this practice with the Jewish tradition of infant circumcision, being part of the covenant people, references to household baptisms in biblical passages like Acts 16, 15, 33, and of course, the consistent practice and teachings of the early church. Now, while discussing these differences, it's essential that we do so with the utmost respect and engage in these dialogues with humility and love. After all, we share faith in Christ and a love for the truth contained in Scripture. So, let's continue to learn from each other as we walk this journey of faith together. Finally, we continue to discover that these passages hold timeless lessons for us, even as we find ourselves in the present. You see, when we consider Adam and Eve's fall from grace, we're reminded about the immense power of our free will. We make choices every day, right? Some are as simple as what to wear, while others carry more weight. They can be profound, life-altering decisions. Adam and Eve, in their story, teach us about the weight of consequences that our choices can have. 
It's a gentle nudge for us to always be mindful of this precious gift of free will, and a call to use it not selfishly, but in a continuous pursuit of truth, love, and aligning ourselves with God's will. Now, remember God's words to the serpent in Genesis 3:15. They're not just a rebuke, they're a beacon of hope and encouragement. The offspring of the woman who is destined to crush the serpent's head is none other than our Savior, Jesus Christ. Even in our darkest hours, in the face of sin and despair, God's promise of a Redeemer offers a reminder. There is always hope in the Lord. So, no matter the hurdles we face, let's not forget that Christ has overcome the world. Then we have the tragic tale of Cain and Abel, a story of envy boiling over into violence. But even in this harsh narrative, we glimpse God's boundless mercy. Yes, God does punish Cain for his wrongdoing, but he also protects him, marking him so no one would dare harm him. This is a potent message for us, speaking to the depth of divine mercy. No matter our failings, God's mercy is there for us, always available if we seek it with sincere, remorseful hearts. Here we are today, surrounded by technologies and grappling with issues that Adam and Eve could never have imagined. But isn't it fascinating how the human heart stays the same? We still tussle with temptation, sin, and face the repercussions of our actions. We still need God's mercy. We still yearn for hope and redemption. These ancient stories resonate with us today because they speak to these timeless human experiences. So, let's carry these lessons from Genesis with us. Let's strive to use our free will wisely, constantly seeking what's good and true. Let's remember God's promise of redemption as our beacon of hope. Let's embrace his mercy and strive to extend it to others. By doing so, we'll be weaving these timeless teachings of Genesis into the fabric of our lives today. As we close today's journey through the Garden of Eden and the early chapters of Genesis, I want to leave you with this. The stories of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel are not mere tales from a distant past. They are living narratives, echoing through the centuries, and they speak to the very heart of our human experience. They remind us of our free will, the mercy of God, and the redeeming power of hope that lies within all of us. Thank you for joining me, Dr. Augustine Newman, on this journey through the scriptures. I invite you to join us for the next episode as we continue to explore the profound wisdom and timeless truths that lie within the pages of the Bible. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. Until then, may your hearts be filled with peace and your minds with understanding. God bless you all. You've been listening to Vox Day, Unfolding Scripture, hosted by Dr. Augustine Newman. Thank you for joining us on this journey into the heart of the Bible. We hope you found today's episode enlightening and inspiring. If you enjoyed our time together, please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review our show on your favorite podcast platform. This helps us reach more people and continue to provide meaningful content. Don't forget to share Vox Day, Unfolding Scripture, with your friends, family, or anyone you believe could benefit from delving deeper into the Word of God through the Catholic lens. Your support truly makes a difference. We're grateful for your company today, and we look forward to meeting you again in the next episode. Until then, keep the faith, stay open to the Word, and may God's peace be with you.